Welcome to Pigskin Frenzy on this wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joel Norris. And whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, or listening on Podbean, a big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday to just sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like each episode, and leave comments down below. If you're listening on Spotify or Podbean, follow on there and share around with others as well. We have X, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is type in Pigskin Frenzy. Type it in, follow, like each page. You'll get episode updates, news, and highlights from across college and NFL football. There's trivia questions on Instagram stories. Go and answer today's. And you can get all things up to date for Pigskin Frenzy. College football day today, week four, was exciting, uh, eventful, and it was you know, I kind of had a word for the day for it, and it was exposure. So a lot of, you know, a lot of exposure, and we're, we found out who, you know, where, where teams stood and where teams, you know, are currently heading into the last week of September and entering October. So we're going to go over a week four recap, break down some of the top four matchups that I talked about last week, and we're going to also go over and preview and predict the week top matchups for week five coming up this Saturday. So subscribe to the channel once again. Keep plugging into Pigskin Frenzy on all platforms and follow on each platform as well. So before before we go into week five and predict all these games, let's talk about week four. Let's talk about what we saw. And we're going to kick it off right now with Florida State and Clemson. Florida State and Clemson, I said what they needed to do last week. Mike Norvell has not won a game against Clemson so far in his head coaching career. But now, after last week, he did. Close game. I said it was going to be close. Final score, Florida State 31, Clemson 24. Mike Norvell gets his first win against Clemson as a Florida State head coach. They go in to Clemson, South Carolina in Death Valley and defeat them in overtime. Pretty pretty good game. It was it was a close you know, back-and-forth fair the whole whole way through. However, it was Clint Florida State who got the last laugh. Let's look at what Jordan Travis did. Uh, Jordan Travis still dealing with that shoulder injury, and he looked he looked kind of, you know, he looked good, but he also had some moments where he was just, you know, kind of not feeling it and kind of not there. So let's talk about Jordan Travis. 21 for 37 with 289 yards and two touchdowns. He also had one rushing touchdown. Trey Benson, their running back, had seven carries with 25 yards and three receptions with 50 yards. Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman were factors in this game. Wilson had five receptions with 94 yards. Keon Coleman, the Michigan State transfer wide receiver, had five receptions with 86 yards and two touchdowns. Florida State looked good on offense, but their defense was kind of getting, you know, a little worn out, especially with Kay Klubnick and Will Shipley, you know, running that offense. I said that they needed to, you know, will use Will Shipley on every aspect of the game, passing, you know, in the passing game, in the rushing game, and they did. It wasn't enough, but they tried their absolute best. Kay Klubnick for Clemson, 25 for 38 with 283 yards and one touchdown. He had 13 carries with 10 yards and one touchdown. Will Shipley, he had 18 carries with 67 yards and one touchdown, as well as four receptions with 38 yards and one touchdown. Tyler Brown, the receiver, had five receptions with 84 yards. He was a big threat in the passing game. Overall about this game, I think it was a close back-and-forth affair. This obviously knocks out Clemson in the college football playoff hunt early, and I might use and Clemson go out this early. It, it's different. It's a different vibe for what's going on with Clemson. I think that Garrett Wilson was like was a hot shot hire from last year's you know TCU national championship runner up team. Uh, they had a 
TCU had a solid offense, and I believe that Clemson will have a solid offense. It just looks like Florida State and the ACC, this could be their year. Now they have their, the, there's three other teams along with Clemson, uh, Miami, Duke, and North Carolina, but, and we're going to get to Duke in a minute, but Clemson just looks, it looks like it's just a year for them where, you know, they're rebuilding a little bit more, and then they're going to have to, you know, try to find a way to make, you know, take it off again in the ACC. But this year is not their year. It's looking like Clemson's a good team, but it's not their year to, you know, go, you know, be in contention for the playoff, right? So uh, it is the first time I've seen Clemson where they're not ranked either. So when you look at that and you just think, you just ponder that, you're like, wow, you know, this is a weird year. I feel like we're in the twilight zone. And I felt like we were in the twilight. I still feel like we're in the twilight zone and we just haven't got out yet. So Clemson not ranked. They're pretty much it's looking like they're out of the college football playoff hunt. Florida State, as for them, they showed signs of areas that they need to improve on. They obviously look like they are beatable, uh, uh, along with everybody else in college football. I mean, everybody else this season is pretty much beatable. But Florida State looked like, you know, they were, they were solid against LSU, solid against Southern Miss. Uh, they they kind of showed some flashes against Boston College. And then th- and then this Saturday against Clemson, they looked like they, they could have been headed for a loss as well. So it's one of those things where you look at it and you think about it and you ponder it. Not at one, not everybody's beatable, but two, Florida State looks like a team that can that you know that probably needs to show some signs of improvement in some areas, or they could probably drop a game or two. So Florida State looks solid. They 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 are the number five team in the nation. Um, congratulations to them. They final score 31-24. They route Clemson in overtime, and Mike Norville gets his first win as Florida State's head coach over Clemson, right? So First Clemson win for him. Congratulations to Florida State. They look good, but they are starting to show some areas where they need to improve on, especially uh, when it comes to, you know, starting starting fast. And I think that's a big improvement there. Starting fast, Florida State needs to be the key because they haven't been starting fast the past few games. Ben Carton started slow, and they had to, you know, start to play a little bit more of catch-up here recently in these past two weeks. So final score, once again, Florida State 31, Clemson 24. Florida State still rocking it, still undefeated, still 4-0 as they head into the last weekend, uh, the last you know week of September, heading into October, you know, in the college football months, getting ready for the prime months of college football. So next game, Alabama Old Miss. This is a game I, you know, pondered on and we talked about last week. I said that Alabama needed to show a lot more consistency on offense, especially in the run game, not just in the throwing game, but in the run game. Let's run the ball a lot more. Uh, Ole Miss needed to show that, you know, you know, apply pressure to the quarterbacks, right? Apply a lot more pressure to Jalen Milrow. I said this was going to be close. It was close until in the very end, they ran away with it. So final score, Alabama 24, Ole Miss 10. Why am I shocked about that score? I thought this game was going to be a little bit closer on the scoreboard. Um, I thought that Ole Miss was going to score a little bit more. I thought that Bama was going to keep it close, and I think it was going to be a last-minute field goal. I did think, so I got the outcomes right. I'm getting the outcomes right on these picks so far, ladies and gentlemen, but I thought Alabama looked like they were going to, you know, 
end it with a field goal, but they didn't. You know, they didn't. It was a it was 24-10. Uh, they and they and not only that they ran the ball a lot more. So we're gonna get into that. Let's get into Alabama. They ran the ball a lot more, which I was, you know, like okay, good for them. They're sticking to what needs to be, you know, stuck to. Jalen Milrow, quarterback Alabama for you know opening game against Middle Tennessee State. Um, Texas, they, you know, and then he didn't play against South Florida because they were trying to test out Ty, Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson. But they went back for Milrow, and Milrow, 17 for 21 with 225 yards with one touchdown and one interception. He did make a few mistakes in the game. He had 16 carries with 28 yards, but he's effective in the ground game. He did make a few mistakes in the air, and he made, and his decision-making, you know, was a little, eh, you know, but listen, it was enough to get him by. It was enough to get them by. And that was the big thing. It was enough to get them by. Uh, Jalen Hale, their freshman wide receiver, two receptions with 63 yards and one touchdown. And let's talk about the ground game. The ground game is what their strength is. And I've said that. Uh, Listen, they do not have a Bryce Young at quarterback. That's not, you know, throwing any shade at Alabama. They just don't have the, the quarterback like a Bryce Young out there in Tuscaloosa, they have three. They have three quarterbacks that could get them by, but they do not have a a a five star number one overall draft pick like a Bryce Young this season. They don't have a game changing quarterback. They have quarterbacks that will help them win the game, but they have talent all around them. So what do you do? You build up to your strengths, right? You build up to the strengths. And that's the run game. I've said this. It's the run game. Jace McClellan, senior running back, he had 17 carries with 105 yards and one touchdown. Roydell Williams, you know, had a solid rushing attack as well, along with Jalen Milrow. They had 131 rushing yards on the ground. I call this getting back to the basics, right? I mean, it's getting back to what make, made Alabama and made the dynasty work for Alabama for so long. Getting back to the basics. Throw when you need to. Yeah, the play action, you know, you know, pro-style type quarterback play, but run the ball and run the rock and run it down their throats and make them stop it. And if you make, if you make, you know, if you don't make, they can't stop it, you're going to make them quit. And that's what Tyler Tyler Smith was talking about. Make them quit. You got to make them quit. So getting back to the basics for Alabama, there are 131 rushing yards. Good win for Alabama here, and it was looking good for, you know, them. You know, it wasn't looking good for them heading into the game. But then today, you know, this past Saturday, when you look at them, they're like, oh, man. You know, they're looking like a little bit like Alabama again. So it was, there was, there's some, there's much, you know, much more to improve on for Alabama. They didn't look too, too, you know, flashy, and they didn't look too good, but it wasn't bad. You know, it was just kind of okay, right? So Bama won. Congratulations to them. Got back to the basics on the ground game. That's what they needed to do, and that's what led Ole Miss to, you know, to just to, to this win over Ole Miss. So, so go over Ole Miss really quick. Uh, they did not play bad. It looks like, I mean, you think, okay, they played bad. They didn't play bad. Jackson Dart, 20 for 35 with 244 yards and one interception, uh, 12 carries with six yards and one rushing touchdown. Jackson Dart, you know, tried his absolute best, but that that D-line was pressuring him. Alabama's front seven is still solid, and they're still one, one of the most talented in the SEC. So when you look at them and you look at that front seven applying pressure to Jackson Dart, he's going to make mistakes like throw the interception, like throw the ball away, and take a sack, right? Jackson Dart, he did the best he could and he played he played a good game, right? I think he played a good game to the standard, you know, 
and what he was, you know, with the cards that it was laid out in front of him with that front seven, right? So Jackson Dart, by no means, he went out, he went out, you know, swinging, right? So Dayton Wade, their wide receiver, and Jordan Watkins, their other wide receiver, those receivers played solid. They didn't get any touchdowns, okay? They didn't get any touchdowns, uh, but. Dayton Wade, five receptions with 88 yards, and Jordan Watkins had nine receptions with 57 yards. Quinshawn Jukins, he, you know, established a little bit more in the run game, 13 carries with 56 yards. My only thing with Ole Miss, and this is still it for me, established the run game a lot more. You have a solid back in Quinshawn Jukins, who's a, a monster. He was, in all honesty, the running back. That was supposed to be the best running back coming back in the SEC, and he's just a little bit off to a slower start than usual, right? Um, he's not averaging the 105 yards a game that he was getting or 105-plus yards that he was getting in, in every game last season. But when you look at Judkins, he's a monster that could be in all aspects of the game, and you just got to utilize him more, right? So uh, Judkins, he played good, but he wasn't utilized to the strengths like, you know, you know, like he usually is, and I feel like it can throw a little bit off the Ole Miss offense. Ole Miss's offense is capable of doing much, much, you know, better things, right? Especially against Alabama's defense, against an LSU defense, against an A&M defense, you name it. But you got to establish what worked last season in some of those some of those games, and that's Quinshaw Junkins. He's got to be a factor in some of these games, and you got to, you know, run the rock with him a lot more. When you establish the run game with Judkins, and then you get the throwing game going with Jackson Dart, who's going to stop that offense, right? It's going to be kind of hard. So uh, Ole Miss, they showed some flashes, but it was not enough to get, you know, the win over Bama in Tuscaloosa. Final score, Alabama 24, Ole Miss 10. Uh, Bama heading for a showdown at 8 o'clock this Saturday night on ESPN in Starkville against Mississippi State. State's coming off of a bye week after losing to LSU. And Ole Miss is going back home to Oxford with, speak of the devil, a showdown with LSU is looming Saturday. So 5 o'clock on ESPN, no, 6 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, 9 o'clock Eastern for State and Alabama on ESPN if you live on the East Coast. But, yeah, it's all coming together here, you know, for Ole Miss, State, Bama, and LSU. So four square is what we're playing here with these games. So uh, moving on. Uh, Bama got the win, 24-10. Moving on, we'll go over to these two games. Before we go over the AP poll and recap and preview and predict week five. So, Oregon and Colorado. I was looking at this game. I was thinking to myself, okay, right? Let's just, you know, it's going to be close. It's going to be close, but I think Oregon is, you know, just right now in the Pac-12 ahead of Colorado. Colorado is good, but they are not in it yet, you know, they're not in it by no means yet. I mean, they got to, you know, this is going to be a game where Colorado shows us something, right? Shows us who we, who, what we're dealing with and what, and what they need to work on and improve and what can they do moving forward. Then I saw Colorado walk into Austin Stadium and they were kind of, you know, laid back, confident, a little bit too overconfident as they were scrubbing the Oregon logo. And this is by no means hating on Colorado. Uh, I hope they don't have a receipt for me. Okay. <laughs> I hope they don't. I am a believer in Colorado. I think Colorado's a talented team. And I think Deion Sanders is turning that program around. I really do. But when they did that and kind of were talking a little bit of trash to Oregon, that sparked Oregon a lot. 
even so, if you want to go into the half the pregame speech, it's on ESPN's on video, on social media, on Facebook and Twitter of Dan Lanning saying they're doing this for clicks. We're doing this for wins. That's showing, you know, that they're fired up and they're ready to come to play. Well, they did, ladies and gentlemen. They did. It was one of those games where they never should have done that to Oregon. Final score, Oregon 42, Colorado 6. I was right about the outcome. I was wrong about the score and the game as a whole. It was all Oregon. It was all Oregon. There was no aspects of the game that was Colorado. No aspects of the game that was Colorado. It was all Oregon. On offense, defense, special teams, all assets of the game. And I quote, Deion Sanders said that was an old-fashioned butt-kicking. They were humbled that Saturday. They were there. They were humbled that, that this this past Saturday on ABC. So let's go with Oregon really quick. Bo Nix looking like the Heisman candidate that we always thought he was at all, that everyone thought he was at Auburn and going into Oregon. Bo Nix, super senior, 28 for 33 with 276 yards and three touchdowns with one interception. He also had five carries with nine yards and a touchdown. Bo Nix done it all. His Heisman odds after this spiked up. Bucky Irvin, their running back, 10 carries with 89 yards. Jordan James, their other running back, seven carries with 54 yards and one touchdown. Noah Whittington, eight carries with 45 yards and a touchdown. He also, update on him, he suffered a foot injury, a left foot injury in the game this past Saturday against Colorado, and he could be out multiple weeks. That is according and announced by head coach Dan Lanning. Uh, Prayers for speedy recovery for Noah Whittington. Noah Whittington is a solid back for that Ducks offense and Ducks team. But he played a pivotal role in that win against Colorado. Troy Franklin, their wide receiver, eight receptions with 126 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Their tight end, uh, you know, their tight end Kelly for Oregon. It was also another factor. He got the last touchdown for Bo Nix. So, Oregon looking solid and looking like a prime threat in the Pac-12. I'm just saying. You look at SC and what they did against Arizona State, they played them close. Arizona State showed some fight and some heart. The biggest problem I have with USC is their defense still. I still have some questions about their defense, especially in the secondary. We're going to get you know, we're going to, you know, talk about that in just a little bit, but Oregon looks like the prime threat along with Washington in the Pac-12. The, the Pac-12 going on going out on a shield in its last season looks strong. I mean, there's some teams in the Pac-12 that are solid. USC, Oregon, and Washington all in the Pack. They're all in the top 10, all in the Pac-12, all in the top 10, all in the AP poll top 10. So Oregon looks solid. Let's go over Colorado. Shadur Sanders was 23 for 33 with 50, 159 yards and one touchdown. Anthony Hankerson, five carries with 31 yards. Dylan Edwards, three carries with 21 yards. Xavier Weaver, Nine receptions with 75 yards. Michael Harrison, three receptions with 22 yards and a touchdown. That was the only touchdown for Sanders and Michael Harrison. That was it. That was all they got. I mean, they delivered their best. I think they came into the game overconfident. They came into the game with a little bit of a, you know, an attitude about, oh, they bought into the hype of, okay, they're coming. It's Colorado, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. They look solid, and they're still a solid football team, but when you look at them, they came in a little bit too overconfident, and they came in a little bit too, you know, a little bit too, I guess, cocky would be the right word, Um, but Colorado was humbled a little bit Saturday, and what can they take away from this? They can come back with a little bit more humility, with a little bit more respect for their opponents, and and 
that can also bleed onto the field, which means, hey, we'll make it a more respectable game and closer game, and we'll compete with you guys a lot more. I think Colorado is a solid team, and I think this team, with the talent that they got, could have competed with Oregon. They could have. You're thinking, okay, they okay, you, you're you're crazy. Oregon has Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, uh, Troy Frank, Troy Franklin. But you got to think though, their and their defense is solid. Their defense is lights out. Dan Lanning, a wonderful defensive coach. But when you look at them, when you look at them, Oregon is you know they they got they got the talent, but there's teams out there that can compete with Oregon. Oregon's a solid team, and they're one of the top teams in the in the country. But they Colorado talent wise has the team to compete with them. They just didn't. They didn't play. Their, it's all a mental thing. They didn't play to their strengths, and they 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 didn't show and the amount of right respect going into Austin to play against this team. That's why they they got beat so bad. It's all a mental thing. They got beat because they didn't show the right amount of respect and proper humility for their opponent. And that's why that, that's it bled onto the field, and they didn't play to their strengths, and that's why they only scored six points, and it was forty-two six. Dan Lanning was fired up, and he was ready to run the score even more. It's all about respect. You got to show respect in these games, and it was a an, an ultimate disrespect type of thing. And Oregon forty-two, Colorado six, and that was the final result. All Oregon Saturday. What does this mean for Colorado? A showdown with USC is looming Saturday in Boulder. Home game for them. We got to see where they go from here. But going into this game, it's a tough look. Yeah, very, very tough look. SC came off of a good win against Arizona State. Uh, they, It was kind of, SC showed some questions too. USC showed some questions too. But in the very end, they kind of ran away with it and got the win over Arizona State. So uh, final score, Oregon 42, Colorado 6. Oregon looks, looks like a powerhouse in the Pac-12. Colorado uh, drops back a bit after a uh, tough loss against Oregon. But I believe that they will be okay. I do. I'm a believer in Colorado. They just got to show a little bit more humility and a little bit more respect towards their opponent. That's all. So final score, 42-6. Colorado routes Oregon big time. So didn't accept, didn't see that one coming. Moving on, Ohio State, Notre Dame, before we go to the polls and before we talk about week five and preview and predict these games, Ohio State and Notre Dame. I was wrong about the outcome. I got this pick wrong. Uh, back and forth game. Notre Dame was leading the whole game. Uh, or pretty much the whole game. No, no, I'm sorry. I apologize. Ohio State was leading it first, 10 nothing. Then Notre Dame sparked a comeback. It was 14-10. 14-10. Back and forth until the end. Final score, though. On the very last second, Ohio State 17, Notre Dame 14. Ohio State routes Notre Dame and gives Notre Dame its first loss. Ohio State looked good. Kyle McCord played a, a phenomenal. He played a solid game. He didn't really play how he did against Western Kentucky, obviously, but he played enough and played well enough to get the job done. They played with toughness, and that is what they needed to win this game. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Kyle McCord, 21 for 37, 240 yards. Uh, Emeka Abuka, go-to man for this one. Seven receptions with 96 yards and two carries with nine yards. Another go-to guy, uh, a couple more go-to guys was Cade Stover and Marvin Harrison Jr. Cade Stover, seven receptions with 52 yards. They're tight end. Marvin Harrison Jr., their star wide receiver, three receptions with 32 yards. He also left the game and came back with an ankle injury. We'll have more updates on that. His ankle looks a little bit beat up, but and that can play a factor as, you know, 
showdowns with Penn State loom, and then later in the season, Michigan loom. So we're going to have to see what Marvin Harrison does, but that ankle, that's something to keep an eye on. I mean, he looked really, he looked hurt in the Notre Dame game, so that's going to be something to keep an eye on for Marvin Harrison, and it's something to, you know, to keep up to date with. So I will get up to date with that. The running game with Ohio State looks solid. They look they look solid in the running game. It was led by DeMonte Tranium and Trayvon Henderson. Trevion Henderson, he had 14 carries with 104 yards and a touchdown. Uh DeMonte Tranium, sorry, Trayanum, Trayanum. Uh DeMonte Tranium, six carries with 13 yards and a touchdown and one reception with 12 yards. Tranium had the last second go ahead, go ahead touchdown. Uh it was 10 14. Ohio State led a game-winning drive, Kyle McCord throwing the ball down. Marvin Harrison clutch play clutch pass he called it first down in the red zone uh another another pass caught by Harrison first down first and goal they were you know seconds left it was about what five seconds four seconds left of the game uh Tranium was in the backfield they handed it off to him and he got it in for the go-ahead touchdown to ice the game there was one second left kickoff you know they had to do a PAT then kickoff and then Notre Dame it was trying to lateral, and they couldn't get it off. It was 17-14 Ohio State over Notre Dame. Classic game and a good way to end the game in South Bend. Uh, Ohio State looked solid. Ryan Day looked fired up after the comments that legendary head coach Lou Holtz did um, and said to him about you know Notre Dame and how Ohio State wasn't as tough. Uh, that kind of fired him up a little bit. I would be fired up as well. Uh, they, looked fu- they looked good in the round game. I think the ground game is kind of what led them to win this football game. I think the ground game was a big piece of the puzzle for Ohio State's offense this past Saturday. Sam Hartman and Notre Dame. Let's talk about Sam Hartman. He did not play bad. He played He played good. He played like he was, you know, giving it his all on the field in South Bend. Sam Hartman, 17 for 25 with, 100, with 175 yards and a touchdown. Audric Estime, he did okay, but it wasn't enough, you know, enough ground on the ground for Ohio State. I expected a little bit more on the ground for Notre Dame, I apologize. For Notre Dame, I expected a little bit more for them. Audric Estime, 14 carries with 70 yards. Uh, Jabrain, uh, Jabrain Payne, Jabrain Payne had six carries with 18 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Michael uh, Mitchell Evans, their wide receiver, Mitchell Evans, seven receptions with 75 yards. And Jaden Greathouse, two receptions with 40 yards, one carry and three yards as well on the ground. Uh, their ground game was okay, but they leaned more on Sam Hartman throwing the ball, and he did good throwing the ball. He, they had some good plays in the air, but I feel like another, I think like the balanced attack, you know, kind of slowed down in the second half. I feel like Notre Dame, the problem with Notre Dame was they took their foot off the gas. I feel like they had the all the momentum in this game, but they just took their foot off the gas, right? I think um, it, it was one of those games where Notre Dame had them, and they slowed down, and then Ohio State just kind of played catch-up and caught back up, and they got motivated. They saw that as weakness for Notre Dame, and they took advantage of it, and they scored the go-ahead touchdown. It was a back-and-forth game overall. Uh, Notre Dame still in the playoff hunt, still in national championship contention. Obviously, Ohio State is as well. Ohio State in the top five, top four now, technically, because they're number four. But uh, final score, 17-14. Ohio State edges Notre Dame out close. I said it was going to be a close game. thought it was going to be a lot more of a high-scoring game, but it wasn't a low-scoring game on both ends. Their defenses played well, and the ground game is what was, you know, 
what sold me for Ohio State in this one. So Ohio State 17, Notre Dame 14. Ohio State going to keep rocking and rolling. Notre Dame has got a big showdown coming up Saturday in Durham, North Carolina against Duke Blue Devils as they are also undefeated. So let's get to the polls. That was our recap of week four. We're going to go to the polls really quick and just discuss, you know, read off the polls and then preview and predict week five of of, college football matchups, the top matchups, you know, heading into Saturday. So, Number one, obviously, Georgia. Uh, 4-0, they beat UAB. Not a big shocker there. Number two, Michigan. They routed Rutgers in re- you know, the return game of Jim Harbaugh. Welcome back for him. Texas, they defeated Baylor. They are number three. Ohio State jumps two spots from six to four. They jump USC, and they jump Florida State. Uh, n- number two, number four, Ohio State. After a phenomenal win against Thunder Dame, that's a resume win for them. In their playoff hunt, right? Number five, Florida State. They drop one spot after keeping it close with Clemson. They showed some good signs, but they also showed some signs where they needed to improve, like I said before. Florida State at number five. Penn State, number six. Here comes the Nittany Lions. They routed Iowa this past weekend, and they look good in that whiteout game in Happy Valley. Penn State's going to be a problem, okay? And I'm just going to say this now. Keep an eye on Drew Allard in that offense. They're going to be a problem for Michigan and or Ohio State. That's a, t- that's a team that they're going to have to come to play. So Penn State, not going anywhere anytime soon. They're going to be a threat in the Big Ten race this season. Washington at seven. Ohio, uh, Washington at seven. Good uh, a route of California. They look solid on offense. Uh, USC at eight. Uh, they dropped three spots from five. They were at five. My my, my mistakes. They were at five. They re- went from five to eight. USC looked Good, but also, you know, looked a little bit slow on defense. And I think that's why what happened, and that's why they dropped from five to eight and they dropped so far. So um they looked a they looked a little slow against Arizona State, but they picked it up in the end and you know ran away with it in the end. Oregon, number nine, uh, they're you know, they went from ten to nine after a, you know, you know, pretty pretty harsh win. Uh, pretty harsh win over Colorado. It was a harsh win. Uh, big win for them. They're number nine as you know they enter fully into the top ten. Utah at ten. Look at the Pac-12 represent the top ten. You have one, two, three, four. You have four teams from the Pac-12 in the top ten. Seven, eight, nine, and ten. Washington, USC. Oregon, and then Utah, all representing, all undefeated. Utah has a big game coming up this Friday night against Oregon State. We're going to get to that in the minute. Number 11, Notre Dame. They dropped two spots from number 9 to 11 as they lost a close one against Ohio State. So not dropping too far. Alabama with an impressive win. Coming in at 12, they jump LSU. LSU and Bama flip-flop. LSU played a tough game against Arkansas uh, this past Saturday, and they played them tough. Arkansas is a good team, but the penalties is what drove Arkansas, you know, to that loss against LSU. LSU looks solid. Bama looks solid also. They just flip-flop. Alabama at 12. LSU at 13. Um, Oklahoma, 14. They look solid against Cincinnati. They looked really, really good. 4-0 as they are, uh, as a Texas showdown looms here in the next few weeks. So, number 15, North Carolina at 15 coming in there. They go up two spots. They were at 17, but they move up to 15 after an impressive win this past Saturday. Washington State, Wazoo. Cameron Ward, solid and underrated quarterback in the Pac-12. They have a lot of good quarterbacks in the Pac-12, by the way. 
uh, with Caleb Williams, Shadur Sanders, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Cam Rising, if if he returns, and I hope he returns, DJ Ugolele, and Cameron Ward from Wazoo, man. I mean, uh, they all just look solid, don't they? They look so good. And Wazoo looked really good against Oregon State. They played tough. Uh, Jake Dickert, their head coach, solid coach, and they had a phenomenal game plan against Oregon State. Close game, Wazoo at 16 after a huge win. Uh, they were at 20, they moved to 16. Number 17, Duke. Duke, the Duke Blue Devils. Riley Leonard looks solid. Um, that's a team that I would watch out for heading in, you know, heading into this Saturday's game. That's going to be a packed out house. Durham, North Carolina, college game day is going to be there, and Notre Dame's coming to town, you know, for a showdown there. So Riley Leonard, 4 0 with Duke. They are at 17. Miami, the U, 4 0. They look solid. Number 18. They move up two spots from 20 to 18. Miami looks solid as well. Uh, Number 19, Oregon State. They dropped five spots. They went from 14 to 19. Oregon State still in it. It was a close game, but they lost to Wazoo. They dropped to 19. Oregon State still in it, though. Ole Miss is now at 20. They went from 15 to 20 after a, you know, uh, I would say a pretty moderate loss to Alabama. Uh, they they played, they tried hard, but it wasn't enough to completely drop them out of the rankings, I would assume. So Ole Miss goes from 15 to 20. Tennessee uh, bounces back up a couple of spots. They went from 23 to 21. Uh, they jumped Florida, the team that they defeated, right? Uh, the team, they're, I mean, they're still ahead of Florida, the team that Florida defeated. So 21 Tennessee, 22 is Florida. They move it from 25 to 22 after an impressive win against Charlotte this past Saturday. Missouri at 23, they enter the rankings finally. They look solid. They beat Memphis pretty good. Missouri, 23 as, you know, they got a Good couple of games, especially a showdown with LSU coming in, coming up on October seventh next week. So, Kansas number uh, number twenty four, Kansas they're four and zero. They look good. Jalen Daniels looks like looks like a threat in the Big Twelve. They look like they can you know make a run at Texas or and or Oklahoma and or Kansas State in that conference. So twenty four, Kansas at four and zero. They look solid. Go Jayhawks, Rock Chalk Jayhawks. By the way, and number twenty five, Fresno State in the Mountain West at four and zero. Fresno State playing some good football out there in the group of five. So they're number 25, and that rounds up the AP Top 25 polls. So as we get ready for Week 5 Preview and Predictions, we're going to kick it off with Utah at Oregon State, and that game's Friday night on ESPN. So when you look at this two teams, it's a you know top 20 matchup here, 10-19, Utah coming into town. Now, loud, packed out, you know, you know, Packed out, you know, stadium in Beavertown. Here we go. So, Utah. They have to shut out the crowd noise. This is the key game for Utah. They got to shut out that crowd noise. It's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. Uh, J- Jonathan Thomas is going to be, you know, get them ready. They're going to get, he's going to get them pumped and ready, you know, you know, to play a solid Utah team. And a key for Oregon State is you got to be more physical up front. For Oregon State, you got to be used more physical up front against Utah, and I think that's the biggest key for Oregon State. If they're if they are more physical up front against Utah, they can win this football game, and they can prove that they are a you know still in it in the Pac-12 you know championship hunt. So there's a lot of good teams in the Pac-12. This is the most interested like most interesting season so far, especially with realignment and everything for the Pac-12. So uh, Utah has to shut out the crowd noise, and Oregon State has to be more physical up front. So, who do I have winning this one? Friday night, 
Gonna be gonna be a close one. It's gonna be a very close one. I think Utah routes Oregon State. I think it's a close game. I think Oregon wins 42. I'm sorry. I think Utah, Utah beats Oregon State. Utah wins 42 to 35. Or uh Utah 42, Oregon State 35. They route the Beavers and they improve to 5-0. And, oh, and Oregon State goes to 3-2 and two on the season. Utah 42, Oregon State 35. Coming up Friday night. USC at Colorado. This game is going to be interesting, uh, especially after what happened to Colorado against Oregon last, you know, this past Saturday. So USC started off slow and was pretty slow in the Arizona State game, but Colorado also got routed by Oregon pretty badly. So it's one of those things where what's going to happen here? You know, who could we? This game is probably going to be unpredictable heading into Boulder this Saturday morning. So USC at Colorado. Key for USC is their secondary versus Colorado's wide receivers. Can their secondary hold up against Xavier Weaver? And can they hold up against Michael Harrison? And can they hold up against, you know, a lot of these guys, right? Especially Xavier Weaver. So can they hold up against Colorado's wide receivers? That's the key for USC's, you know, in this game. Colorado's mentality after losing to Oregon is Colorado's key. And I think that was their mentality going to look like? Are they going to show more respect to USC? Are they going to show a little bit more humility going into this game? Because if they do, they can play to their strengths and they could probably keep this game a lot close and could potentially pull out, pull it out a Big-time upset in Boulder this Saturday. USC at Colorado. Who do I have winning this game? I have USC winning it close. I think it's going to be close. I think this game will be a lot closer than, you know, than everyone thinks it's going to be. Everyone's thinking they just got done getting beat down by Oregon. They can't do it. It's not their year, and it may not be their year. And they may, and they're mostly, I think they, they're probably going to lose this game, but I think they're going to play a lot close. I think if they play to their strengths and they show respect, they can, you know, either play them close or, who knows, pull out an upset. But I think USC gets them. I think <clears throat> the dynamic factor with Caleb Williams and uh, with uh, the new receivers, Darius Branch, uh, man, there, Zachariah Branch. Yeah, Zachariah Branch. Yeah, I mean, that, those two, those that combo right there, they got Brennan Rice. Uh, they got Marshawn Lloyd. They, a lot of those guys on the offense are solid for the Trojans. I think they route Colorado. I think they win 35-24. Uh, USC 35, Colorado 24. Coming up Saturday uh, morning in Boulder. So 35-24, USC defeats the Buffaloes. But Colorado plays a lot better than they did against Oregon. And they show a little bit more you know, toughness and play of their strengths coming up this Saturday. So two more games. LSU at Ole Miss, the Magnolia Bowl in the SEC West. Going to be a good one, I think. I think it's going to be very, very close. I mean, we got, obviously, we got 3-1 and one Ole Miss, 3-1 and one LSU. Um, they both look solid, right? They both look solid. 3-1 Ole Miss, 3-1 LSU. Going to Oxford for this one. Ole Miss coming off of a tough loss against Alabama. LSU coming off of a, you know, two strong back-to-back -back wins against uh, Mississippi State and Arkansas. Um, here are my questions, and this is for LSU. The secondary versus Ole Miss wide receivers. Now, I normally wouldn't question LSU secondary because everybody's talking about DBU. They had Matthew and Claiborne and Peterson and all these legends in the, back, in the secondary for LSU, but when you look at them lately, these the transfers that are coming in, they're young. I mean, you got Deuce Chestnut, Zy Alexander, uh, Andre Sam, you got uh, Denver Harris up there. They got a lot of young guys that have come in, but is it enough? Because the past couple of games, and especially against Arkansas, they 
kept getting beat out by these receivers. So, um, and it's nothing against Arkansas. Arkansas is a tough, tough squad. But they, you know, and a lot of this, a lot of this, you know, was caused by penalties. If it wasn't for the the, the thirteen penalties by Arkansas, which I think they lead the league in penalties in the SEC currently, but that's that's Arkansas. But if they, if it wasn't for those penalties, what would that game would have looked like? Uh, they have a solid offense, LSU's offense. I don't have any questions about their offense. I don't have any questions about their mid linebackers. I don't have any questions about their front seven. I have the only question I have right now about their their team, or two things really. More so the running game on offense, but also uh, they're getting the running game cleaned up, but they're secondary against receivers. And I think that's my biggest key for LSU. Can they play a much better game covering Ole Miss's wide receivers. They got Dayton Wade and they got Jordan Watkins who were solid for Ole Miss. And the key for Ole Miss, uh, they need to get a ground game going with Judkins. I've said that before, but I really think so now. I think if they get the ground game going with Quinshawn Judkins and he, play, and he plays a factor in this game, it's going to open up a little bit more in the passing game against the, the secondary. And then LSU could be on their heels a little bit. This is a trap game for LSU. LSU's favorite in this one. Trap game for them, though. Solid team against Ole Miss. Going to be a big-time game come 6 Eastern on ESPN. Who do I have winning this game? I have LSU pulling it out close. I think LSU avoids the upset. Close. They beat Ole Miss, but it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be close. I will say a field goal win. I'll say LSU 38, Ole Miss 35. Um, it's not going to be a blowout by any means. Close, back-and-forth affair. LSU gets the game-winning field goal with Damian Ramos doing probably what he did last this past Saturday against Arkansas, getting the win there. 38-35, LSU defeats Ole Miss and gets the win and moves to 4-1 and one, while Ole Miss moves to 3-2. and two. Final game before we conclude today's episode of Pigskin Frenzy, Notre Dame at Duke. This game I have been waiting for for oh, quite some time. Notre Dame 3-1, and one, Duke 4-0. and oh. uh, Audric Estime, uh, Estime, Sam Hartman, all those guys coming up and taking on Riley Leonard and the Duke Blue Devils. Here is the keys to this game. There's two keys, you know, two keys to this game uh, and one big key for Duke. So keys to the game for Notre Dame, get Andre Estime back on track in the ground game, uh, establish the ground game hard for this one. And I would assume, you know, you would do just fine. Run a little bit more misdirections on the outside uh, and then just force them, force them to quit, right? On defense, uh, establish the ground game and get the running game back on track with Audric Estime. And number two, don't let your foot off the gas. And keep going. Keep when when you are scoring, and you keep on going. You don't pump the brakes. You accelerate. You keep putting. You lean, floor it, floor the gas, and keep on going on offense for Notre Dame. That's the two keys for Notre Dame to win this ball game. For Duke. It's simple. Riley Leonard keeps playing like he's been playing. He plays lights out. Riley Leonard's one of the most underrated quarterbacks, not only in the ACC, but in college football itself. I think if Riley Leonard plays the way he's been playing and he plays solid and plays with heart and compassion, that Duke Blue Devil offense is scary and they could trick up a lot of people. So he's a good dual threat quarterback, plays with heart and compassion. Who do I have one in this game? Close back and forth game. I say Notre Dame gets the win over Duke close. It's going to be, you know, Notre Dame's going to get a win back. Going to be close. I think Notre Dame wins 35-31. 35-31. 35 Notre Dame, Duke 31. They play a lot. 
uh, play a compassionate field heart game, but it's not enough to get the win over Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame has a little bit more talent than Duke, and this what's and this is what's going to get them the win over Duke. Notre Dame thirty five, Duke thirty one, and Notre Dame improves to improves to five and one, and Duke improves to four and or goes down to four and one. So. That just about does it for Pigskin Frenzy. A big thank you for taking some time out of your Tuesday to just sit back, watch, and listen to some college football coverage presented by me. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like each episode, and leave comments down below. Spotify and Podbean, if you're listening on there, share around with others and follow on there as well. X, Facebook, and Instagram, just type in Pigskin Frenzy. Follow and like the pages there. You'll get episode updates. You'll get news and highlights from across college and NFL football. There's a trivia questions on Instagram stories. Go and answer today's. Make sure you answer those as well as all things up to date for Pigskin Frenzy. Big thank you again. Uh, Thursday, we are going to recap week three of the NFL season. Look ahead to the top matches of week four. Dolphins, they look pretty good. You're going to have to, you know, just wait and see what I have to say about that uh, coming up Thursday. They look solid and, you know, What's happening up in Kansas City, right? What's happening up in Kansas City? We're going to talk about that as well. Big thank you for taking some time out of the day. I'm Joel Norris signing off. We will see you Thursday for another edition, for an NFL edition of Pigskin Frenzy. And for everybody out there, stay the course.